Kia ora it's Friday, October 7, I'm Zoe George and this is The Podium. Sports news, but not as you know it, from Stuff. We're back! And just in time for the Rugby World Cup that starts October 8 at Eden Park. In today's show, we preview all the action for the opening weekend of the World Cup, chat to tournament director Michelle Hooper, we get to know a black fern, catch up with Stuff Sports' newest columnist, Honey Hedemi Smiler, and we get the latest from not one, but three sports cheating scandals. Over the next six weeks, we're bringing you all the on and off field action from the Rugby World Cup here on New Zealand soil. 12 teams, 26 games, three venues across Auckland and Whangarei. I'm joined by staff reporter who'll be on the ground, Joseph Pearson, and sports reporter Rob Van Royen. Kia ora, guys. Hello, Zoe. How's it going? Morning. Oh, I'm so excited. How are you feeling about uh, the Rugby World Cup being on home soil? Oh, it's great. It's such a massive occasion for the whole country, and I think just at the press conference I was at yesterday uh, with Wayne Smith and Graham Henry and four players, you could see that they're all nervous. But at the same time, I think Kendra Coxedge uh, said that the excitement is just through the roof, basically. The, the nerves, though, nerves are good, aren't they? You know, when you run out on the field, it's what you need sometimes, the fire in your belly. Yeah, I, I also think there will be a lot of emotion, particularly from a lot of the former players who, when they started playing the game, they were just playing in front of Nobody effectively because the women's game was hardly recognised. Rob, what teams are you keeping an eye out for during this Rugby World Cup? Well, certainly France and England. Everyone's going to be keeping a close eye on them. They're the two sides that did a number on the Black Ferns last year. Uh, and look, the, the good news is they're both playing on, on opening day as well. you got France versus South Africa, England are taking on. Fiji. So you know anyone who heads along to that triple header, they can catch the two top dogs essentially in action before the Black Ferns. And the reality is, um, you know, the Black Ferns should beat Australia. They've never lost them. I mean, really, we're not really going to get a gauge, I guess, on where they're at, how much they've improved in the last 10, 11 months uh, until they sort of get a crack at France and England. So that, and that's going to be at the business end of the competition. Yeah, you know, with the Red Roses, uh, the English team are definitely the team to watch for me. I think it's going to be incredible to see possibly a New Zealand-England uh, final. The Red Roses have won two out of seven World Cup finals and have um, been beaten by the Black Ferns five out of six times. So those stats are definitely in, in New Zealand's favour. Um, Joe, who are you keeping an eye out for? England are... I can't remember a side being as big a favourites for a major tournament like this in the past couple of years. I really can't. They've been professional for three years and they've won the last 25 matches. The last team that beat them was the Black Ferns in 2019, but since then, COVID has also uh, come up, obviously came along too. And they're just so strong and fit. And I think a well-oiled machine is how I think Wayne Smith put it yesterday, um, the press conference as well. Um shows you that um, not many coaches would talk about another team they're not going to play for potentially four or five weeks, but it's kind of like the elephant in the room, uh, all of these press conferences, because reality is um, in this, the international women's rugby is still developing and there's only three teams in this tournament who can realistically win it, and that's England, France and the Black Ferns. Um, France smashed the Black Ferns last year as well, um, but they've had a bit of a rocky year. There's been a fair few management changes and personnel changes in their side. Um, their skipper, their main player, Gail Ermet, is uh, struggling with a knee injury as well, and she was incredible in those tests where they beat the Black Ferns last year as well. So they will certainly be very strong, and if the Black Ferns were to face either of those teams in the semi-final, say, which we, we won't know until the quarterfinal draw is made, but 
it would be very tough for them to overcome either of them to get into the final. Mm, we do have a home team advantage though, home ground advantage, so hopefully that will come into play. Let's talk opening match day matchups uh, and and give us your picks. So we've got South Africa, France. I think it's going to be France, right? Yeah. So on, on opening match day, it is hard to look. Well, it's it's going to be France, England, the Black Ferns. It's I'm sure the. Uh, odds for those are very short um, because the reality is those three teams, other three teams for Africa, Fiji and France, they're not professional teams and they're not going to compete with France, England and the Black Ferns who are all professional. It's just it's where we're at with, with the women's game at the minute and there's just no way that those three teams, I think Australia probably got the best chance and of getting a result but they've never beaten the Black Ferns. They lost to Japan earlier this year who the Black Ferns beat two weeks ago, 95-12. So if Australia were to get a result it would be an incredible upset but it's just not going to happen and Rob uh, on Sunday in Whangarei we've got Scotland who's back after a 12 year World Cup hiatus they're playing Wales what are your thoughts on that who might win that one yeah, I'd probably be leaning uh, towards Wales in that one, but I mean that's one of those games that you know you really could go could go either way. Also on Sunday we've got Japan Canada. Canada for me is a is definitely a team to watch. I love Japan. I always support Japan, but I think Canada will be one to watch. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, and Canada go into the World Cup ranked third, um, which is actually ahead of France, who are ranked fourth. Uh, I'd, I'd be back in Canada to to top Pool B. Uh, they're in the, the US potentially. You know, on their day could could beat them. They haven't got a great record against Canada in, in recent times. Um, so yeah, Canada for sure um, should, should beat Japan and, and should win Pool B. Yeah, and then USA versus Italy. USA were the first ever World Cup winners in 1991. They actually beat the Black Ferns that year um, in the semi-finals, I think. Uh, so USA, Italy, who's your pick? Uh, I'll be going with the USA to, to win that one, but it'll, it'll be close. Italy are definitely a team that, you should, that shouldn't be written off. Mm. Uh, now the Black Ferns squad's been named. Joe, are there any notable admissions? Four, yes. I think all four of these players would start if they were fit. Kennedy Simon has been struggling with an injury she suffered against Australia a few uh, in August. It's a plantaris injury, which is a, a thin muscle down the back of your leg. She thought it, was, thought it was a calf injury. She thought it was her Achilles, which would have ruled her out of the World Cup. But um, she is expected to be back in the next couple of weeks. Um, the other three are Aisha Letienga, who's many people's player of the season, given how well she played, scored seven tries in the first five tests and scored two doubles against Australia in the three meetings so far. She's struggling with a calf injury, but she is also expected to be back quite soon. And Tanya Kalunavale, the tight head proper, I think would start if she was fit, is uh, struggling with an ankle injury. And Alana Bremner, who had started every match until the Japan test, has a knee injury. But none of them are serious. So apart from those four players, there are no sort of major injury concerns. Yes, well, I think it's going to be interesting because last year the Black Ferns conceded, I think it was 166 points in four games. They only have nine returnees from the 2017 Rugby World Cup. They're missing 14 from that tour last year. They've had an absolute tumultuous sort of 24 months, first with COVID and then the Northern Tour, and then we had a player speak up about welfare issues, which led to a review and found that the culture wasn't that great within the side, and then they changed their coach, and now they're under Wayne Smith. Oh, can they do it? It's a good question. Um, it would be an incredible turnaround from last November. It really would. I... I Realistically, I don't think they can because I certainly think in a one-off game, it might be able to beat France, who have had a bit of a rocky year themselves. 
Um, that's nothing new for a French rug- rugby team, is it, um, behind the scenes? <laughs> um, and they've got a few injuries, as I, as I said earlier, but I just think England are so strong. It, it's very, very hard to look past England. They will certainly believe, but I mean, Wayne Smith is certainly, as I said earlier, is certainly cautious about any big statements on what how and how they can beat England. But Blackfriends England final would be great, but it's... I just can't see anyone but England winning this tournament. Now, there's a few new faces in the Black Ferns side. Georgia Ponsonby, who's played just seven games for the Ferns, will start on the bench for the opening match this weekend. The 22-year-old has just graduated from Lincoln University but started off life in Gisborne. She comes from a farming family. Both her parents are shepherds and they've been managing a farm in Taihapi for about 20 years. Georgia thinks the skills she's learned on the farm have set her up well for whatever life throws at her. Whenever I go home, I'm like help out on the farm. I'm very fortunate to have grown up in such an amazing place and have that rural background behind me because I think it, those skills help you in every aspect of life. Long days, early mornings, just a lot of time on your feet, some heavy lifting stuff, you know, it's just all really good character building I guess you know even the smallest of things like chopping firewood picking up lambs when I was little you know for docking time and things like that I think they're just really good probably life skills that have built me into the person I am today yeah her first passion was netball but it wasn't too long before the rugby bug hit so I boarded at Fielding High School so left home when I was young I was always netball like right through I didn't play rugby in primary school I was netball wanted to be a silver fern and I was doing really well in my netball but then I don't know the girls at Fielding we had a really good girls team back then so the girls just looked like they were always having so much fun and I just wanted to be a part of it so I went along to a training one day and then just never looked back and then I think when I was year 12 I got told I couldn't be in the senior A netball team as or be in our first 15 so I chose rugby which is kind of sad they gave me the ultimatum at that age but I chose rugby and I'm really stoked that I did. And we'll be hearing from more of the Blackfins as the Rugby World Cup unfolds. One of the names you'll hear lots of during the tournament is Michelle Hooper. She's the tournament director. I caught up with her this week and asked her about what it takes to get a tournament off the ground. And in true podium style, her picks for food at the matches. Kia ora, Michelle Hooper. Welcome to the podium. Thank you for having me, Zoe. Lovely to be here. Always lovely to have you on. The Rugby World Cup is here. Let's start first talking statistics because we love that stuff. Um, how are ticket sales going? First for this weekend, but also for the entire tournament. Well, we've been pretty overwhelmed actually with the response to um, the ticket sales. And beginning of this week, we reported that we we're over 35,000 sold for Eden Park. Once we hit that 40,000 mark, we uh, have sold out Eden Park. So we are tracking to towards that, which is an absolute dream come true for the vision for women's rugby um, and what we foresaw as being, um, you know, really supercharging women's rugby on the world stage. That's incredible. And it's historic, isn't it? Like this is surpassing any other records for crowds for any women's rugby game previously. That's right. So on a, on a world level, it's um, it's going to smash out of the park the world record for a Rugby World Cup match for women's attendance, which is 20,000. Um, here in New Zealand, the record for the highest attended women's sport events, around 16,000. Uh, not to mention that this will be the first time in history that we will have sold out Eden Park for women's sport. So there's a lot of amazing records and, and a bit of fabulous history about to be made here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. 
cannot wait. Why is the Rugby World Cup only in Whangarei and Auckland? Oh, the decision was made a long time ago, back in 2018, so when the rights to host Rugby World Cup were first um, awarded to New Zealand. Um, the original footprint was done off supercharging the 2017 version, um, but part of that originally was the, um, the footprint was kept small so that we could do more in a smaller area, um, so spending less on logistical costs and being able to spend more on you know filling, filling stadia and, and great smaller experience. So retrospectively, we would have loved to have taken it much further around the country. And I think in the future, if we host a Women's Rugby World Cup again, there's no doubt it would be taken as far afield as possible. And um, and what are you looking forward to eating at the stadiums at the halftime breaks? <laughs> My goodness, that's a great question. I don't even know if there's white bait fritters, but we've got so many, um, sta- you know, um, great food coming in from outside the venue so I'm going to go and do a little bit of an explore on Saturday because I haven't caught up with exactly all the vendors that are coming in from outside but I know they're bringing in a whole range of Pacifica and Maori food vendors and um, different trucks not just the standard offering that you get um, at the stadia so I'm looking forward to going and seeing what's available actually. Yeah so maybe not all the hot dogs and chips maybe something else. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well actually uh, everyone loves a hot chip don't they but I have to keep those on the deck just one one or two. (laughs) Oh sounds good and then the final okay come on you've got to give me your, your top picks who's gonna win <laughs> I think it's gonna come down well I, I you know anything's possible England France and New Zealand are really the teams to beat and I, I put my money on I can't I shouldn't really say actually but I'm guessing it's either England New Zealand or France New Zealand final would be my picks but I probably shouldn't say that out loud <laughs> That's Rugby World Cup Tournament Director Michelle Hooper. You can read more from our interview in this weekend's Sunday Star Times. Someone who knows all too well about World Cups is Hani Hedemi Smiler. She's played in five World Cups, one for rugby and four for rugby league. She's joining our roster as a columnist for stuff during the Rugby World Cup, so I decided to get her take on all of this. Kia ora, honey. Welcome to the podium. Kia ora, kia ora, Zoe. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you on, and it's great to see your name in print. You're coming to join us as a regular columnist for the Rugby World Cup. How do you feel about that? Oh, a little bit nervous, to be honest. I suppose this um, this broadcasting media, a little bit of uh, writing here and there is, is a real testament to opportunities that have uh, have come about my way since retiring from sport and, it, and it's a I suppose something that I'm really grateful for, but yeah, still super nervous about. (laughs) You're a natural. You've got nothing to be worried about. Uh, The Rugby World Cup is here and you played in the Rugby World Cup previously, haven't you? Yep, I I played in the 2014 Rugby World Cup. And so what does this Rugby World Cup mean to you now that you're on the sideline? I don't actually know if I should say this, but I feel like more excited now than what I did as a player. Um, Just, (laughs) yeah, I'm just so excited to support all, all the women that are going out there to play and support New Zealand because it's in New Zealand and, and just women's rugby in general. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Absolutely. We've got 12 teams, 26 games across three venues, uh, including Whangarei and Auckland. So what are the teams to watch for you? Oh, look, obviously you can't go past England. They come in ranked world number one and they've just been in like a you know, amazing form the last couple of years. You know, they really hurt losing that last uh, Rugby World Cup final to the Black Ferns and they've put a lot of resource, a lot of time, um, a lot of effort into starting to set the standard of uh, women's rugby 
globally. Um, so I'm really excited to see, you know, them, them run out against Fiji. But in saying that, Fiji, I'm really excited to see too. This is their first time being in a 15s Rugby World Cup and we know what they can do in seven. So they're going to bring that real flair, that real X factor. It's just amazing to see the growth in their team. Um, and obviously I won't go past our Black Ferns, you know, uh, just <laughs> with everything that they've gone through over the last uh, 24 months and and getting down to the wire now and come kick off, you know. I suppose there's a lot of pressure on them being the hosts, but also I know that the girls will just go out there, um, block all the noise out and just put on a great performance from game one right through to the final when they lift the cup. Absolutely. Um, are there any standout players or any emerging players that we should keep an eye out for during the Rugby World Cup? I, I suppose one that really does stand out for me is young Tanya Kalunavali. You know, she she's uh, starting in the prop position, which is one of the toughest positions to take on. Board. She's a young Fijian girl and, and have a personal relationship with her. In fact, it was only maybe four years ago she rocked up to a rugby training in Hamilton, old boys sitting in the car and her mum, you know, her mum come up to us and said, oh, my daughter wants to play rugby, but she was too shy to get out of the car. And unfortunately, I'm not a part of the Hamilton rugby team. I was coaching the, the opposing team, Melville, and I was trying to tell her, mum, drive over to Melville, I'll take her. You know, and I know there's plenty of uh, backstories similar to Tanya's where they're just going to come out and, and thrive and I'm so excited to see them, you know, I suppose stamp their mark on the world stage. Mm, that must be so, such a wonderful feeling to see someone go from going, oh no, I'm too shy to play, to now running out, wearing the black jersey, representing New Zealand on the world stage. Also coming up, not just the Rugby World Cup, but we've got the Rugby League World Cup coming up um, in just a couple of weeks' time and the Kiwi Ferns were named, the squad was named just this week. Um, what are your thoughts about that? How are we going to go as, as someone who's played in the Rugby World <laughs> Rugby League World Cup just a few times. Yeah, I, I think this is why my excitement levels are just through the roof, you know. My my two favourite sports, my two favourite teams, the Black Ferns and the Kiwi Ferns, and, and so much happening with both of them at the moment. Um, I was super stoked to see the Kiwi Ferns team be named during the week, and, you know, I think they've got a real solid foundation in, in Crystal Rotter and Georgia Hale, and, and you know, they've brought Api Nichols back in now, so got a really great leadership group there and a lot of those players coming out of the NRLW we've been watching that for the last six to eight weeks and man that a competition man that set us it's standard that it was so quick so fast so exciting I had so many people ask me about the NRLW and how intense the competition was you know you go from some of the top teams like the Roosters and the Broncos not even making the final and and underdogs like Parramatta and, and the Knights come through. Like that that just shows that the talent and the growth of the game has grown so much. And this rugby world rugby league world cup coming up is going to be another display of that talent. And I'm I'm super excited for the Kiwi Ferns. I, I know that uh, you know they're getting together soon and what they're going to show on that world stage again. I'm backing them 100%. Honey's first column is out today. You can read all her columns every week on stuff.co.nz and in our newspapers. In other sports news, the White Ferns just beat the West Indies on the second-to-last ball to win the final game of their five-game series. And there's so much sport on this weekend, so sports fans, stock up on your snacks and get yourself ready. We've got more rugby with the NPC quarterfinals, North Harbour versus Auckland tonight, Friday night, then on Saturday, Wellington versus Hawke's Bay, Canterbury versus Northland, and on Sunday, Waikato versus Bay of Plenty. 
In cricket, the Black Caps are playing Saturday night in their Tri-Series opener against Pakistan. Then on Sunday, they face Bangladesh and Christchurch. Rather chilly time of year to be being playing cricket in Christchurch. The Phoenix play Adelaide United on Sunday afternoon in the capital at the Caketon. The Ironman World Champs are happening in Hawaii with Braden Curry and Kyle Smith racing. The great race is back on Sunday. Bathurst 1000 V8 supercars and heavy rain is expected. Reigning champion Shane Van Gisbergen is just one win away from sealing the most dominant season in supercars history as he chases glory. And also on Sunday, Football Ferns versus Japan in a friendly match in Nagano. And you can follow all the sport action with our team at stuff.co.nz. Hey, producer Jono. Hello, Zoe. We are back. How exciting is this? Oh, it's so good, and it's fabulous to have you back on the show. Um, in other news, there's not one but three current cheating scandals going on in sport. What's the latest? Honestly, Zoe, there is more cheating in sport than there is on an episode of Love Island at the moment. It's absolutely <laughs> out of control. Let's start off with chess because this story is just a story that keeps on giving, really. So we had a match between a guy called Hans Niemann. He's an American 19-year-old grandmaster of chess, and he dethroned Magnus Carlsen, who's by many in the chess fraternity considered to be the greatest player of all time. Carlsen then comes out afterwards and accuses Niemann kind of indirectly of cheating. Neiman denies it. There's this whole saga around this website, chess.com, which uh, has confirmed that they believe that Hans Neiman cheated in over 100 online games, but there is no evidence that he's ever cheated on across-the-board games, so games in person actually uh, with the other person sitting there across the table. This all took a turn when there was an allegation that Hans Neiman had, shall we say, uh, secreted a device upon his person, which was enabling him to communicate with somebody and they were giving him the moves to play in order to win. Uh, this has been vehemently denied. He's offered to play naked inside a box which blocks all electronic signals, which frankly is you know, a case of absolute scenes in world sport. I don't think anybody's ever offered to do that to prove that they're not cheating before. Now, Hans Niemann's actually played overnight at the US Champs. He won his first round match against a 15-year-old, and he said this match basically vindicates him. He won it fair and square, and he's going to let the chess speak for itself. Oh, well, we'll keep seeing how this plays out. And then there's been cheating and fishing? I know. Who knew that cheating and fishing was even a thing? This is a couple of guys at a tournament in Cleveland, and they caught all their fish for, for the tournament, and when they were having it weighed, somebody kind of felt the fish and thought, that feels a bit odd, there's something something in there. And they cut the fish open, and inside there was all these lead weights and cut up bits of other fish. And they were trying to pass fish off that should have weighed about two kilos, and they were weighing about four. Now, the prize money for this tournament was about 30 grand US, which is more than 50 grand New Zealand, so not exactly small fry. And these guys actually won multiple other tournaments. So now they're going back and looking at all the other results to see if these guys have made a habit out of cheating and stuffing their fish with material to make them weigh more so they can take home the prize money. Wow. Scandalous. Uh, and then there's poker. Jono, do you know anything about flops, rivers, folds, straights and rainbows? I could probably give you something on straights and rainbows, Zoe, but I'm not <laughs> sure it's entirely podcast appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, this stuff's not really in my wheelhouse either. But resident expert Ian Anderson knows a fair bit about poker. Um, Ian, who is Robbie Jade Lou and why is she being accused of cheating? Yeah, the third fascinating story in the triad of cheating scandals, isn't it? Uh, Robbie Jade Lou is a fairly unknown poker player until this week, really. Um, she's fairly new to the game, only really came on the scene a year ago. 
but she played a a rather large and rather um, well investigated pop in the days since at possibly the appropriately named Hustler Casino and it was on a live stream so you're able to watch that live over the interwebs. Uh, Robbie J. Lou won a pot worth $269,000 holding basically a jack and a four and calling off what was a semi-bluff from a well-known poker pro called Garrett Adelstein and all the drama happened afterwards obviously. Adelstein was rather befuddled as to how Robbie J. Lou had made this amazing call that her jack four was the best hand come the river. Um, she eventually gave the money back to him after a little bit of uh, a, a, um, some problems after the uh, the hand was played backstage. Um, she felt she was intimidated and wanted to defuse the situation and handed the money back. And it wasn't long before the interweb was full of tales of the fact that she cheated him out of the money before she'd given it back. Did she just bluff, though? I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen around this has been incredibly sexist. Uh, how could a woman beat a man? I think that's the key problem in terms of the reaction to the hand. She is, as I say, she's she's not particularly well known. Um, she's a woman, obviously. She's bold in appearance and outlook, and so she becomes a pretty big target for the online incels and the misogynistic shadows. I mean, I see terrible plays without any logical explanation every day I play poker, but I've never thought my rival was cheating. Uh, she was interviewed yesterday on a, uh, a podcast by a, a very good poker reporter called Chad Holloway, and she explained herself, and she said she just knew that he didn't have it, that he didn't have a very good hand. She knew he was bluffing. She called his bluff. She was right. Um, and she felt like she gave the money back because she was she was frustrated. She was probably felt a little bit intimidated. She's fairly new to this scene, uh, and, and I think anyone that's trying to cheat someone out of, you know, two hundred sixty nine thousand dollars probably wouldn't immediately give it back. They'd probably think, well, I've I've done my success. But there was all sorts of ridiculous accusations that like she was sitting in a in a vibrating chair. Um, the film of the hand and the 15 minutes before and the 20 minutes after has been analysed more than the Zapruder film on the Kennedy assassination, really. <laughs> when there's probably just a simple explanation to it all that she outplayed him. Mm, well, I've, I've watched it and watched it and know nothing about poker and I'm terrible at poker and I probably would have done the same thing as her. But anyway, keep us posted on how that goes. Um, and that's it for the podium for Friday, October 7. Big thanks to Joseph Pearson, Rob Van Royen, Michelle Hooper, Honey Hidemi Smiler and Ian Anderson and to producers Jono Williams and Philippa Tolley and audio engineer Connor Scott. And to you, thanks for listening. Our first show back. You can find the podium at stuff.co.nz forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back on Monday for a wrap-up of the weekend's action. It's going to be epic. Until then, I'm Zoe George. Namihi, go well. <laughs>